Today we're uh, starting this new series called Jesus in the Real World, and I just want to start by asking a question that probably you've uh, heard many times, you've asked maybe many times, whether you've asked it verbally, if you asked it uh, through the way that you live life. The question is simple, can money buy us happiness? Can money buy us happiness? I, I remember a long time ago I was eating this uh, Dove chocolate and uh, you open the wrapper, and it's got a question, a silly question, a silly answer. And it asked that question, can money buy happiness? And on the flip side, it said, no, it can't, but it can buy chocolate, which is the next best thing. I didn't think that was very funny, but maybe some of you who love chocolate think that it is. But can money really buy happiness is the age-old question. Let me, let me answer that question through people who have been on the other side of having it all, and hear what they have to say. These are people who lived uh, either years ago or decades ago or just recently. Um, and this is what they said. J.J. Astor, um, Waldorf Astoria, J.J. Astor, net worth when he died was valued at $2 billion. Okay, that's a lot of money. $2 billion, he said, I am the most miserable man on earth. I think having $2 billion would make you somewhat happy, but he says he's the most miserable man. Uh, Vanderbilt, W.H. Vanderbilt, net worth $200 million at the time, which would be $52 billion today. So the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Henry Ford, okay, Ford Motor Companies, net worth today would be $199 billion. That's billion with a B, right? Not million. I was happier when doing a mechanics job. Andrew Carnegie sold his railroad, J.P. Morgan, for the equivalent of $310 billion. Said millionaires seldom smile. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller, whose net worth was four times the net worth of Bill Gates. Okay. $340 $340 billion, right? Which would be today the modern day equivalent. Back in the day, it was millions. He said, I've made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. To me, this strikes a death blow, a gauntlet to this idea that says, if I have all the money in the world, then I'll be happy. I don't have anything right now. I'm barely making it, but if I have it, then I'll be happy. How much do you need? Every one of these people will say just a little bit more. And they're never happy. In fact, this guy named Ed Diener did this study. 49 wealthiest Americans, 49 wealthiest Americans, he interviewed them. And 80% of them, okay, this is 40 of the 49 wealthiest Americans, 40 of them said that making all this money has made me unhappy. He's not saying, I am not happy because I have this money. He's saying, because I have this money, I'm actually unhappy. Can money buy us happiness? So many people pursuing the elusive American dream have this idea that money can buy us happiness, but we are wise to heed the wisdom of those who've gotten on the other side of money only to realize it's utter bankruptcy when it comes to trying to buy us happiness. It's wise for us to heed these words. Why? Because they're saying the very same thing That Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and throughout the Bible, the biblical writers 
their united witness is the same thing as the Rockefellers and the Astors of our day. That money cannot buy us happiness. We're starting this series called Jesus in the Real World. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to show that Jesus is not some abstract, uh, just kind of conceptual thing that doesn't have any bearing on real life. You read the insert in the bulletin, you see this is the, the, the very essence of why we do the things that we do. Because Jesus does make a difference in real life and he does make a difference in the real world. We're going to see this by looking at the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the, the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about the countercultural nature of the kingdom that he came to bring into this world. We've studied from Matthew 5 to chapter 6. We're picking up in verse 19 of chapter 6, and we're going to go to the end, to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, to show how Jesus and all of his teachings make a difference in the real world. So let's look at Matthew 6. We're going to read verses 19 through 21, just three verses. I wanted to go through verse 25, but I re- uh, verse 24 today, but realized it's a little bit too ambitious. So we're just going to pick up these three verses, and then we're going to try and hammer out one thought from each of these verses and then see how it relates to our lives before we come to this uh, table of grace later today. Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through 21. Uh, this is the word of God for the people of God, a sermon that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago to people just like us. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word. Verses 19 and 20, if you read them, if you actually put them side by side and juxtapose them, you see that they're almost exactly the same except for one or two words in each verse. Jesus is saying you could store up treasures on earth or you could store up treasures in heaven. Your treasures on earth are temporary. Your treasures in heaven are eternal. He says we're all investing our treasure somewhere. Our time, our talents, our money, everything that we have, we're all investing it Somewhere, Our money that God gives to us to steward, that which we think we own is really on loan. What are we doing with the investment that God has given to us? Where are we investing our money? Is it on the earth or is it in the bank of heaven? Right? One will lead us to temporary returns and the other will lead to eternal dividends. What, what do we see here? The first thing that we see, okay, the first thing that we see is investing into earthly treasure is an investment into fool's gold. I think it was in uh, 1649 or 1549, there was an English seaman. His name was Martin Frobisher. He set out to try and find the Northwest Passage, to enter into the New World and, and find better ways from England to, to get to this New World. And so he and his buddies, his uh, sailing men, took their ship, and they landed in Canada where he struck gold. Massive, massive amounts of gold. And they loaded it onto their ship as much as they could, and they went back to England giddy and excited about the treasure that they had won, they had found. And they went back from England to Canada, that very spot, with many, many ships in order that they could bring back much, much gold. And they went, and they mined it, and they took all of this back to England, And they started this multiple year-long process of smelting the gold, which is basically to purify it, to heat it 
in order that it would be separated from its impurities. And after years and years and years of doing this, they realized that it wasn't actually gold. It was iron pyrite, which is essentially worthless. Fool's gold. They had invested all these years of their life into something they thought was so worthy only to realize that it was worthless. And Jesus is saying, this is what many of us are doing. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust will destroy it. You ever have this expensive sweater in your closet? You put it away because you only need it for two weeks in the wintertime here in Florida. And you pull it out the next winter and it's got holes all over it. And you're like, what happened to my cashmere sweater? And you realize that moths have gone in and destroyed that $100 sweater, whatever it is that it is. Rust destroys even the finest of things. And he's saying, not only that, if these things don't happen, thieves are going to come in and they're going to break it and steal. All that he's saying is, listen, it's temporary. The things that you value and put all of your money into buying is so temporary. Here, when he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, what he's literally saying is, stop storing up treasures on earth. In other words, he's saying, it's human nature. Y'all are doing this right now. Hey, he's saying, you're doing this right now. Stop doing it. What he's saying, he's saying, don't do this in the future. You may be tempted to do this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, y'all are doing this right now because it's the sinful nature with its human nature to want to see, right? We, 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 we see what we see and then we think that this is all there is to life. And he's saying, you're doing this right now. He's saying, stop it. Don't be silly. It's fool's gold. It's worthless at the end of the day. He's saying, y'all do this all the time, people of 2,000 years ago, but He's saying that we do this today. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we do, don't we? Bill Hybels, great uh, pastor at Willow Creek Church, uh, he talks about a time he heard this speaker, and he was on a stage, and and he had a a roll of stickers. And on the stage, all over the stage, were things that, uh, miniature replicas of what um, we put our value in in this world. There was a a dollhouse, and there was like a a matchbox car. Uh, There was a desk that represented our our status and and work and wealth, and, and there was money. And this guy walked around and he started putting little red stickers on each of these items. And he said, you can't see it right now, but on this sticker, there's one word on every single one of them, temporary. It says, everything that you see is temporary. The chairs that you sit on, the table, the microphone, everything that we see, the buildings that we build, all of these things are temporary. Everything is temporary. And we invest so much of ourselves into these things. And he said, everything that, we, that is visible to the eye, temporary. It will not last. Temporary fulfillment, temporary satisfaction, temporary sense of meaning. And as he put that red sticker on every single one of these things on stage, he was dealing a death blow to the sense of worth that we find in all of these things. Yeah, there is a sense in which I get that brand new Corvette and I feel, I feel great about myself. When I drive around, people are looking at me, they're like, that guy made it. But it's temporary. What happens when that thing gets into an accident and everybody's staring at you for a different reason? What happens when that begins to sit out in the Florida sun and the paint begins to chip and people, and you don't no longer have the money to, to, to get a new paint job? 
And people are looking at you and they're staring. You got what you wanted. He's saying it's all temporary. It's all temporary. Let me ask us, why? Why do we want to make money so much? Why do we want to go to the best college in order to get the best job so that we can be a millionaire? Why? There is a good reason. There's a legitimate reason for it. But there's also a reason that Jesus says it's fool's gold. Why do you want your children to become doctors and lawyers? Why is that in the Asian mentality the only two career options for our children? Why is it that you want to marry a rich and successful man so badly? Why? Can I tell you some reasons why I think it's the case? Because we want to find our worth in these things. If I dress the right way, people are going to say, you know what? Yeah, you know what? She's made it. He's made it. There's somebody. As long as I dine at the right restaurants, people are going to say, you know what? Wow, they must be doing well. They must be doing well. They must be using their talents well. As long as we decorate our home with the nicest furniture, as long as we have the nicest things in our home, drive the nicest car, then people are going to think, you know what? She's made it. He's made it. There's somebody. A lot of us, man, we find our worth in earthly treasures. Others of us, it's not maybe our worth. Maybe it's a sense of independence. I just don't want to depend on people anymore. I just want to be able to make my own decisions. Other people, it's about control. I want to be in control. If I have money, if I have wealth, I'm in control of my own life. I don't need to worry about what other people say. I have to worry about uh, what people are going to say about the clothes that I wear, about the thing. You know, I, wore this, I, I wore a tie, and I'm not much of a tie wearer, and so I don't usually go out and buy ties. I was wearing this tie at this wedding, and people came up to me, and afterwards they're like, you look like a clown. I said, what do you mean? I looked at every, everyone else had these like super skinny ties, and my tie was like, was like massive. <laughs> and so they're like, you should button up your jacket because it, it, you obviously don't fit in with the rest of the people. If I have a lot of money, maybe I'll feel like I can buy all the skinny ties that I want. And nobody's going to make fun of me. Nobody's going to tell me that I'm not dressed apart. I find the sense of, of control. And not only that, if I've got a lot of money, I can control other people too, can't I? Yeah, if I control them, if I, if I buy, buy them a nice meal, then they've got to do what I say. We have so many different things that we use. But why do, at the heart of it, if you can get to the heart of it, why do you want stuff so much? Why do you want those things? Because deep in our hearts, at the end of it all, there's a gnawing ache within our hearts that tells us that even when we get these things, they're so, so temporary. I know I'm looking for answers that only you can fulfill. I don't know if that's what it said. Something to that effect, that you're a good, good father. There's this longing within our hearts. He says, listen, because the reason it, it's temp- moth and rust destroy, thieves will break in and steal. It's good for a moment, but the law of diminishing marginal returns say it won't stay that good for that long. You'll move on to the next thing and you'll need something else. Jesus says investing into earthly treasure is an investment into fool's gold. That's the first thing we see. Second thing we see in, in verse 20, when we die... We will either leave our treasures behind or we will go to pick up our treasure. That's what he's saying. There's, there's two kinds of treasures. There's treasures on earth and when you, 
And on that day when your strength is failing, the end draws near and your time has come. Some people are going to leave all of their treasures behind because we will all die. Temporary treasures, we are going to leave this earth. Not only that, if we, uh, I'm doing it for my children. I'm going to leave it to my children. Your children are based, all they are, pre-dead people. They're going to die too. Just waiting to die and live this temporary existence. You will either leave your treasure behind or you will go to pick it up in heaven. That's what Jesus says. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. That there is a way that you can invest into an investment that will never fail to bring you a return. Are we investing our stuff into earthly treasure or into heavenly treasure? Randy Alcorn, he's, a, he's a, an author, and he talks a lot about finances and giving. He says the number one reason why we are so fixated upon treasure on earth is because we live with this illusion that this world is our home. Are you living with the illusion that this world is our home and that this is all there is to it? Livy and I spent a night in Atlanta at a hotel Friday night, and we went there. We brought one little suitcase with us that had the clothes that we needed for the next day, our toiletries. That's pretty much it. We did not bring all of our luggage. We didn't bring 10 check-in bags. We didn't bring family portraits of our children. And, oh, this is going to be such a great... And we did not hang them up in our hotel room. We didn't bring down our coffee machine and, and set it up. We didn't bring our microwave oven down. We didn't bring our big refrigerator. None of that stuff. Why? Because we're just passing through that place. We're not going to leave our treasure in that place because that's not our home. And Jesus is saying so many times we put all of our treasure here because we live under the illusion that this place is home. Can I tell you how you know, one of the main ways that you know that you think that this earth is your home? In addition to the fact that you're storing up treasures here, you are so deathly afraid of dying. If our treasures are here, on earth, then death will be the scariest prospect to us because we will leave everything behind and everything we've given our lives to will be burned up in the fire of temporariness and we'll realize that I gave my life to fool's gold. Are you investing in the treasures on earth or are you storing up treasures in heaven which are eternal? How do you store up treasures in heaven then? If you walk this stage and put a temporary sticker on everything that is visible, okay, here's what the speaker did. He said, let me tell you what's not temporal. He called up this little girl, and she stood on stage, and he took a blue sticker, and he put it on her lapel, and he said, this is eternal. People are eternal. Everything else in life will fade away. But people are eternal. Your family that we so easily neglect 
to make more money, to buy more stuff. Your family is eternal. Your friends, your coworkers, your fellow classmates, your employees, your employers, everybody, your enemies are eternal. The only things in life that are eternal are the word of God, the things of God, and people. You have never, C.S. Lewis says, locked eyes with another human being who does not have eternity written all over them. We are eternal beings. That's why the temporary things that we fill our lives with can never satisfy the eternal itch that we have within our hearts. Something that we're trying to scratch and everything that we put ourselves to to try and satisfy leaves us woefully and painfully, inadequately empty. And Jesus is saying there's treasures above that you need to invest your life into. The Bible tells us that three legitimate reasons why God has given us money to steward. One is to care for our families. Two is to care for the needy around us. And three, to support the spread of the gospel that these are the three means for which the uh, money has been given to us in Scripture. There is enough money and resources in the world to cover the world's need, but not enough to satisfy our personal greed. Poverty comes when we take what God has given to us to steward for the world, and we keep it for ourselves. That's why these people, one by one, can tick off the billions of dollars they have, but how painfully empty and unhappy they are because they have taken what was meant to be given to others and they've used it for themselves. I have this conversation. I had this conversation with Olivia on, on multiple occasions. And, you know, this just kind of where, where it hurts me. I have this Oscar Schindler moment. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Schindler's List where... Uh, This man saves all these Jewish people from the Holocaust, thousands of Polish Jews, I believe he saves. And at the end, he has this this crisis where everyone is applauding him. You save so many people's lives. And he has this moment of, of clarity where he looks at the possessions that he has. He looks at his car and he says, but if I didn't have this, how many more people could I have saved? This is 10 people. He looks at this pen, says, this is two people. He looks at the things that he has, and he's like, these, so many more people could have been saved if I had just just not been so selfish with with the money that I had. And there are times where I have this Schindler's List moment, and and I was thinking about when Olivia and I were dating, we were, I was, I was, we were young. I was poor. I was a seminarian. I was not um, exactly rolling in, 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 in money. We were dating long distance, and we wanted to get married. We wanted to get married. That's what we wanted more than anything. And I, I said, Olivia, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting to save up so I can get you a ring. I want to do this the right way. And she said, you know, I don't need, I don't need any of that. Just go to a vending machine and get me a ring. Just give me a gummy saver ring. That's, I don't need a diamond ring. Just give me that. And I said, really? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> She said, I don't need any of that stuff. But I saved up and I saved up and I bought this ring and, and, I, and I gave it to her, which represented at that time when, I, when we got engaged, it was, 
in the 28 years of my life, I've never spent that much money. And it wasn't that much because I was poor to begin with. But it, it was a lot more than I've ever known in my life. That, that check that I wrote was the biggest check I've ever, easily the biggest check I've ever written in my life. And while we were, you know, I, I gave her that, that ring. And at you know, one point while we were dating, we, we saw this dude and he had his initials of his, uh, of his wife tattooed onto his finger. He didn't have a ring. I thought, man, that's kind of cool. I thought we would do that. But I think to myself, man, if, and I, you know, and this is nothing against Olivia. We, we talked about these even this week a couple of times. I love Olive more than I ever have in my life. Ten years of marriage, I've never loved her more than I do now. This is not like the love has gone cold and I'm having buyer's remorse. It's not. But I'm realizing that there's so much that I could have done with that money. To impact eternity. How many more people could have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus with that money? How many more missionaries could I have sent out? And how much more eternal impact could there have been if I I could have bought a lesson? Who told me that I needed to spend all that money? It's not the Bible. It's the diamond sellers of the world who say, you need to save up this much money and spend all that so that I could get rich so that she could know that you love her. I know that I could have spent a tiny fraction of that and Olivia would have known my love for her. Not trying to, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty for buying a ring. or for buy, that's, not my, that's not my intent at all. But I am trying to help us to see that there's a difference between storing up treasures on earth and the joy of storing up treasures in heaven. So I, I heard this recently from a, from, a, from a pastor. He said, just imagine, imagine this situation where all the money that you've ever given to the work of God, and the IRS says, we've, we've tabulated all that stuff. We found out how much you gave and we can give you a lump sum check and we can give that back to you. Would you want it? For some of you, that's like, you know, 30 bucks. For others of you, that's like $500. For some of you, that's like $1,000. Some people, that's pushing into like $10,000. For, for some, it's, a, it's 100,000 bucks, hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've given throughout your lifetime to the work of God. If you could, if the IRS says, listen, I could give that back to you in one check. Just give me your, your direct deposit number, your account number. I'll direct deposit that into your account. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of whatever it is that you've ever given to the work of God. Would you want it? But here's the catch. It would also negate all of the lives that have been, been impacted because of your generosity and because of your giving. Would you take that money? You think about all that you could do. Holy cow, I could buy a new car. I could pay off my mortgage. I, all the clothes that I could buy, all the shoes that I could have, all the purses that I could get. And then I know that you would say there's not a chance. There is not a snowball's chance in a hot place that I would ever, I would do that. There's not a chance. But what about the other way? 
I think about all the stuff that I've spent my money on, earthly treasures. They say, listen, you could cash all that out. You give up what you bought in order that one more life could be brought into the kingdom. What's the price? What's the price of one soul coming to know the Lord God and spending an eternity with him? Would you give up a year's worth of clothes so that one soul could come to know Jesus? What if that soul was your mother, your child? Would it be worth it then? There's an incalculable worth of eternity that is written in the heart of every person who's ever breathed and walked this earth. And so many times I find myself enslaved by things of this earth when I could give myself to greater treasures in heaven that will not fade away. And some people in this life, when they die, when we die, will leave all of their treasures behind while others will go to pick up their treasure. What are you investing into? The earth or into that which is eternal? The last thing that we see, the last thing that we see, where you invest your treasure is where you'll find your heart. Where you invest your treasure is where you'll find your heart. It says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, think about what, that, what he said. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We understand the reverse because we, I, I think a lot of times we read this, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. You think if I love something, I'll give myself to it. If I love, uh, if I love baseball, I'll spend all my money on baseball. But it'd be cards, games, whatever it is. If I love shoes, I'll spend money on shoes. If I love travel, I'll spend money on travel. But what Jesus is saying, yeah, that's obviously true. But he's saying, I flip the script. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what he's saying. Wherever you're spending your money, your heart is going to begin to love those things. So the one who spends all of our money on cars will find ourselves magnetically drawn to wanting to take care of that car, to wash it, to make sure that the tires are good, to keep on doing all of these things in order to make it. Because where our treasure is, our heart is going to follow. In 2009, um, the basketball team of the Orlando area, the Orlando Magic, made it to the NBA Finals, which is like a miracle. But we did. I say we because we're all part of the team, right? NBA Finals against the Lakers. So the, the, the semifinals, we played against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who at the time had LeBron James before he defected and then came back. But they had LeBron James, who in his prime was a, I mean, the greatest player in the NBA. Not history, but at the time. So LeBron, and he was coming to Orlando. And so I said, I really want to watch him play. And so I inquired as to how I'd get tickets. It would be very hard to get tickets. But they said, oh, yeah, you, would get you, uh, you can get tickets if you promise to buy season tickets next year. I said, how much are season tickets? They said, they're $600 for the entire season, the worst seats. $600. I said, okay, I'll, 
by two. And this is great. Again, I didn't have a lot of money, but I said, I want to watch LeBron play. So I bought these uh, season tickets. I watched LeBron play, and I bought all of the LeBron tickets thinking if I'm going to watch a game, but also if I don't, I, I can sell these tickets, which I did. I looked at the going price, and I sold these tickets for a decent amount of money. We made it to the finals against the Lakers. I sold those tickets, and the money that I made selling tickets was more than the money I'd paid for the next season. It's a pretty good deal. So basically, I'm watching 2010 for free if I wanted to. I only went to like two or three games, but with the rest of the tickets, I just put them up online and sold them, and it was cool. And, um, you know, some days, uh, nobody wants to watch the Magic play, and so some days no one would buy the tickets, and I would lose whatever I, I, I paid for it. But, hey, you know, the, the season was already paid for. And so I would sell some tickets, and the good games that people actually wanted to see, they would pay a little bit of money for it. And so I ended up making about like $300 over the course of a season, which is nothing. But for me, hey, I'm poor. That's a lot. So 300 bucks. This is cool. Maybe a few dinners that we can all eat, Olivia and myself. And so they said, okay, it's time to renew for the next season. I said, well, I've got $300 in, in, in money that I've made, and so I'll use that, and then I'll only pay a little bit more. The price of season tickets started going up and up as the Magic moved to a new arena. But they kept on sweetening the deal. We're going to give you Lady Gaga tickets, two of them. I said, okay, I'm going to go sell my Lady Gaga tickets. Hey, you get first shot at this, this thing. Hey, we're going to give you $200 in food and all these things. And so I was like, this is great. But the more I was invested into those tickets and trying to sell these tickets so I wouldn't lose money, like my mind and my heart was consumed. During house church, as soon as house church is done, I check my email. Did anyone purchase my tickets? And when someone did, I get so happy. And when somebody didn't, and it was getting closer and closer to game time, I'd be preparing my sermon and looking at this, preparing my sermon, looking at this, talking with somebody who's pouring out their heart and looking at my... It's all this stuff. And I realized, this is funny for you. It's not for me. If between the time of 2009 to 2012, you, were, you got bad counsel from me, this is why. I... And I realized how true Jesus was. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Where you're investing your treasure is where you can find your heart. You look at your credit card statement. If all of your money is spent at Neiman Marcus, your heart is going to be there. If all of your money is at Chick-fil-A, I realize, man, I am a... my. My God is my stomach. I'm, I, don't look like, I don't look like I eat all the time, but I, my credit cards, like so much of it is on eating out or buying food at Publix or because of our Daniel Fast Trader Joe's and eating at all these different places. I realized, man, my heart is there. Could it be then that this is why passion for God in the Church of America is so low? Did you know that the average Christian gives away 2.9% of their income to God today? Well, during the Great Depression, the Great Depression, 1920, they nobody have any money, they gave 3.3% away. You want to 
jumpstart your heart for God. Maybe a good place to look is where you're giving your money to. Where are you storing up treasures? Jesus says it clearly here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the quickest ways to free yourself from enslavement to earthly treasures is to open your hands and to begin to give. Begin to give the way the Bible says. Freely we've received, so freely give. Here's what the world does. It sells us things that we don't really need. Doesn't it do that? You ever ridden on an airplane and, and looked at the Sky Mall magazines? Right? And these things are fascinating. They've got some amazing things that you never knew existed but would look so amazing in your house. I remember, man, there's some crazy stuff. I, I wanted to look at Sky Mall, but I think they, I, they didn't have it on this airplane. I Googled them and said Sky Mall bankrupt because obviously, man, they're selling stuff that nobody actually needs. But sometimes now and then you look at that and you'll see, wow, these are things that I really would like to have, but you don't really need them. You ever heard of the Diderot effect? Denis Diderot, he's a Frenchman. He had nothing, lived in poverty all of his life. Um, but he had this like encyclopedia collection, and so some rich person said, I'll buy that off of you for the equivalent of $50,000, which in, in Victorian times was a, was a major windfall. And so all of a sudden, he went from having nothing to having all this money in the world. And so the one thing he wanted, I just want a new robe. I want a beautiful new robe. And so he bought this new robe, and as soon as he did, he realized, oh my gosh, all the other clothes in my wardrobe don't match this. He got rid of all that stuff, and he bought a new wardrobe. And he's like, oh, but the beautiful clothes I have, now the furniture doesn't match. And so he switched all the furniture, and he's like, man, that rug, shabby, I need to buy a new rug. He blew all of that money. It's, this is what they call the Diderot effect, that you get something, and then as soon as you get it, you realize, I need something else, and something else, and something else, things that you never needed that the previous you never needed. So, you know, your New Year's resolution is to get in shape or something like that. So you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do hot yoga. Okay? So you get hot yoga. You buy this membership for, I don't know, $20 a month or something. It's not a big deal. $20, that's a small investment. $20, then you get in there and you realize, wow, this loose-fitting clothes is no good. Everyone else, I look so out of place. I need to buy some, some real workout yoga attire. And so you go to the yoga store and you realize, oh, you know, one beautiful black one and you get it for 50 bucks. And then you're like, oh, but everyone else wears a different yoga thing every day. And so I need to buy a couple more. You go buy a couple more and like, man, I'm sweating so much. And so you buy a, a headband to wipe off your sweat. And they're like, man, look at these yoga shoes. I didn't know there were such things. And you buy yoga shoes. And then you're like, man, some days I can't, I just, I'm working so much. I can't make it to hot yoga. I'm going to do this at home. And so you buy a new yoga mat. And you're like, this yoga mat is awesome, but the color doesn't match. So I need to buy one for the other room. And all of a sudden you're buying all of these different things. And it's the Diderot effect of buying things that we don't need. Because the world sells us things that we don't need, but here's our problem. We're looking for something that can't be bought. And this is what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus said. You are an eternal being, but you're looking for your significance, your worth in temporary things which will never be able to satisfy. And so what can we do? And I, and I can tell you, be generous, open your hands, be kind, and maybe you'll do that. But that's not how lasting change will happen. We've tried that before, haven't we? 
when finances begin to get tight, we move into a new place, our rent goes up, our mortgage goes up, and we realize the first thing I'm going to cut is my giving to the things of God. And so we begin to do that. It's not going to change, but by us saying, you've got to change. Matthew 13, six chapters, seven chapters later, Jesus uses the same word, treasure. And he talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. Because it's so beautiful and so worthy that a man would sell everything that he has in order to buy the field that has that treasure just so that he can get that. And all of a sudden, every earthly attachment was relinquished because he found the treasure that's far greater. And he said, this is what I'm going for and I'm giving my life to this. Jesus is saying, I am that treasure. You're looking to earthly things to find worth and significance and control and meaning and status. Saying these things will always be temporary. Temporary satisfaction, temporary value, temporary worth, but I, in me, you can find everything that you need. And I will satisfy you, not only in this life, but forever. Every time we go to buy another thing, to buy more stuff, say just a little more, we're looking for Jesus. Looking for him, who alone can satisfy So beautiful was that treasure that it was worth giving up everything for. The beauty of grace is that Jesus looked at you and me and we can know that I'm loved by a good, good Father because Jesus, the perfect one who had every heavenly treasure, eternal treasure, gave that up and came into our world and was the treasure of treasures, but treated as a worthless wretch. And on the cross, he was discarded and he was spit on and he was treated like garbage to make a wretch his treasure. When you know that you've been loved in this way, when you can begin to treasure Jesus in this way, you realize that whatever I have in this life pales in comparison to Jesus and all that he is and all that he has given and all that he promises in this life as well as in the life to come. And he's freely given all of that to us. And all we need to do is to say, Lord, I receive, I come, I drink, I eat because you've paid it all. We're all investing something, either into this life, which is temporal, or into heaven, which is eternal. Jesus says, let's invest wisely. Let's pray. Let's take a a, a minute um, to respond to God's word. And this is Jesus in the real world, brothers and sisters. This is not... Okay, that's good to know. Now when my friends ask me, what does the Bible teach us about money? I can be able to give them an answer. The teaching of Jesus meets us in the real world. 
Because Jesus didn't just remain the word of God in heaven, but the word became flesh and entered into this world to make its dwelling among us in order that we might live a life surrendered to the purposes of God. I think the Lord God would be pleased if in response to the gospel, we began to radically realign our lives. It's not just that he wants to do more through your treasures and your finances in eternity. He's saying, this is what's going to finally free you from the love of money, which is leading you on a running human hamster wheel of discontentment. But to be freed from that in order that you might really live, you might have treasures in heaven, and that the world might really be impacted through your life. So what is it that the Lord would be calling you to change in the way that you live? I'm not saying do you have extra stuff to give. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. How can we change the way that we live so that it affects the way that we live? It cuts into what we would normally spend so that we show the Lord God and show our world how worthy Jesus is. What is God calling us to do as we seek to build bridges, as we seek to change the world, as we seek to be who he wants us to be? Let's take a minute right now just to pray to the Lord God and ask him, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Loosen the grip that money has on my heart, that this earth has on my heart, that this world has on my heart, that treasures on earth have on my heart. Loosen its grip. And I know that as I pray, you're not going to all of a sudden change my desire, but you're going to challenge me and push me to be able to be more generous to people. To be frugal with me so that I might be generous with other people. Lord, let that be the way that I live. And let that be the way that you loosen my enslavement to this world. It's not my home. Let's pray together for a couple moments and then we'll continue to respond to God through the sacrament of communion. prepare to come to this Lord's table, those who've been baptized or confirmed, 16 or older, to prepare to come to the Lord's table. Let's spend some time repenting of any sins within our hearts, any ways in which we have not honored the Lord with how we live, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our allegiance, the attitude of our hearts as we worship him. Let's come before God and just confess. Acts 20 says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Let's seek a cleansed conscience before God as we repent of sin so that we can come to the table in a worthy manner.
Let's pray for another few moments and then I'll pray for us and we'll continue. Father in heaven, we were reminded a long time ago that when we go out to play, no matter where we go, no matter where we go, how much we struggle, stumble, trip along the way, get dirty along the way, we can always come home because our Father is there and you welcome us with an embrace. Father in heaven, we dare call you Father because of what Jesus has done for us in adopting us as sons and daughters. And because you're our Father, one day we will be home where you are. And so we pray that you would help us to realize that this earth is not our home. Loosen the grip of possessions. Loosen the grip of material things. Loosen the grip of money, which so many times adds more stress to our lives. Help us to be a generous people who would store up treasures in heaven for your glory, for the building of your kingdom, and for our eternal joy as well. Thank you that what we do as we give to you not only is an, makes an eternal impact, but it makes an internal impact as it changes our hearts to be more like you. Thank you. We love you because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.